o'clock service. How are you doing this morning? Man, you ought to be doing the best of any of these services. You got to uh, come to the late one. <laughs> We've been low this morning. Hey, I'm uh, so glad to see you. If you're tuning in online, thank you for joining us. My name is Sean. I'm one of the ministers here uh, at Sherwood Oaks. So a, a, uh, a pastor and an Uber driver both die at the same time and they are ushered into heaven. And as they are walking around and kind of trying to you know, find their bearings, get a feel for their, their you know, eternal home, uh, they're, they're wondering where are we going to live? And so St. Peter takes them around and, and he shows the Uber driver his home first. And so they get there and it is this beautiful mansion up on the hill, gorgeous views, fully, you know, has everything that he ever wanted. And he's like, yes, thank you so much. This is fantastic. Well, the preacher got really excited because, you know, if this was the home for the Uber driver, then he couldn't wait to see his. And uh, so, so St. Peter took him to his home and it was just this like rundown little shack, you know, no view, nothing really spectacular about it. And and the preacher's like, what, what's the deal here? Like this Uber driver got this beautiful mansion. And meanwhile, I get this little rundown, falling apart shack. D don't you know that I served the church faithfully in ministry for 40 years? And St. Peter said, well, yes, we know. But even though you preached for 40 years, every time you did, you put people to sleep. But the Uber driver, every time they got into his car, they started to pray. And so like, that's why he got... <laughs> bigger home. I don't, I don't know if Tom is in this service or not, but uh, if you're looking for something still post-retirement, Tom, I hear that Uber is, is hiring. Still got a chance, buddy. <laughs> Sorry, that's awful. Um, I want to, I do want to start this morning just by, by kind of addressing the elephant in, in the room. Uh, today, for the first time in 40 years, members of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church are going to be voting to affirm a new lead minister. And, and I just want to say a couple of things about that. First, you know, you, you probably know this. It is so rare for a church to go 40 years between moments like this. Um, so rare. And, and it takes two to make a marriage work. Uh, I believe it also takes two to make a long-term ministry work. So, so Tom has faithfully served, and he has loved Sherwood Oaks, and he loves this church so, so deeply. He has been faithful to it. But I also know from stories that Tom has shared with me that this congregation has loved him and his family incredibly well over the last 40 years. He would say that his longevity here at Sherwood Oaks has as much to do with you as it does with him. And so today, I find myself incredibly grateful um, for Tom Ellsworth and incredibly grateful to be a part of a church that loves and cares for its ministers and staff so well. Second, I want you to know uh, that I am excited about what is ahead for Sherwood Oaks. We have an incredible uh, foundation, an incredible legacy that we get to build upon, don't we? I mean, like God has been so faithful to this church, and I am looking forward to working with our staff, with our elders, with our congregation, just to see how we can continue to make a kingdom impact, not just here locally in our community, but around the, the world. And I hope that I get a chance um, to serve you and this church for years to come. And we'll find out if that's going to be able to happen later on this afternoon. But see how the vote goes. <laughs> it's kind of ironic, though, that today's sermon is about how Daniel handled good news. 
And I always try to preach a sermon that is relevant for our daily lives, but selfishly, I hope that today's sermon is incredibly relevant for my life and my family because we've already sold our house in Bedford. And I, so this, this exit polls look favorable, so hopefully we'll have some good news here in a little bit. All right, so we're in week five of our series called Resilient, uh, where we're looking, taking this like in-depth look into the life of, of Daniel, an incredible man of God. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Daniel chapter two. Daniel chapter two. We also have Bibles in the, in the pew there in front of you if you want to grab one of those. Um, or we'll have the words up on the screen. Daniel chapter two. And, and while we're talking today about how to handle good news, I know that the truth is that for many of us in here, like that's the furthest question from our mind right now. Like we're not here today trying to wonder like, man, what do I do with all of this good stuff that is coming into my life? Like I imagine that there's probably a lot of us in here right now, we're just trying to figure out how do we handle all of the stuff that life just keeps on throwing at us. You're, you're worried about your health that you're in a relationship that just seems like it's falling apart and there's nothing that you can do about it. You're afraid that you might lose your job, maybe even this week, and you are wondering how you are going to provide for your family as the bills start coming in and the bank account starts dwindling down. There's a just challenges that you are facing. There's change happening all around you in your church and in your community, and you're just not really sure what to think about all of it. There's worries and concerns about the state of our nation, the spread of this new virus that we're still not sure what it's going to, to look like, and, and it's already maybe even starting to affect some of our lives and the way that it's changing our plans, and we're just just living in this, this, this place of uncertainty. All these things add up to leave many of us in here right now, maybe feeling a little bit anxious, a little bit stressed. But I'll tell you, one of the things that I love so much about the Lord is that he promises to never leave us. He promises to never forsake us. In fact, that was one of his promises to these Israelites that found themselves in Babylonian exile. He assures them, I am with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. The scripture says that the Lord is incredibly near to the brokenhearted, meaning that when you are in that place where life is just hard, God's not like, hey, good luck with that. I'm going to go over here. No, God actually moves closer to you in those moments. He is near to the brokenhearted. And then we are told that we can cast all of our cares, all of our anxieties upon him because he cares for us, because he cares for you. So wherever you are in your faith journey today, whether Sherwood Oaks has been your church home for many years, or maybe this is the first time that you've stepped foot in a church in a long time, and you're not even sure what you believe about all of this. And here's what I want to invite us to do today. Can we just take a moment to acknowledge what it is that we're feeling right now in this moment, whatever burden, whatever care, whatever concern, whatever joy you brought in here this morning, can we just take a moment to acknowledge that? Just think about maybe what is causing that, what's the, what's the root of it, what the, what's the experience? And then let's just spend some time quietly laying it down to the Lord in, in prayer. You may not be the praying type, it may not be something that you do, but I invite you just 
to maybe simply pray, God, I'm laying this down to you. Help me to trust. So let's take a few moments to silently do that. Father God, thank you that you are the rock and the refuge in which we can hide when this world is just, um, it's just scary. It leaves us anxious, nervous about what's ahead. God, help us to know that we can firmly put our trust in you, that you will not waver. You are unchanging, even as everything around us maybe feels like it's changing. God, we pray for um, our nation, that, uh, that, Lord, you will just give guidance, especially in this coming year as we're in an election season, that, that Lord, you will protect us as, as this virus begins to kind of spread through. Give, give those who are working day and night to find a, a, a solution to this and a vaccine. Uh, just give them your wisdom, and may you use them as your healing hand uh, for the world. Lord, I, I pray that, that this morning, whatever it is that, that is that burden that is on our heart, that we will be confident that we can cast that upon you because, Lord, you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're having a prayer and worship event. I, I know it's been mentioned before, but it's tonight at 6.30. We're going to be doing some more of this, just seeking the Lord in worship and prayer. I'd love for you to come and join us. It's going to be a great night that, uh, that you don't want to miss. So let's kind of just in by way of recap and review, um, go over what we what we talked about the last couple of, of weeks. At the beginning of chapter two in Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and, and this dream greatly disturbs him. And so he calls all of his wise men together and he's like, Okay, listen, um, I, I want you to not only tell me what my dream meant, but I want you to tell me what my dream was and then tell me what it meant. And so he throws like this unrealistic expectation on them. And of course, none of them are able to do it. And, and so now King Nebuchadnezzar is not just, he's not just disturbed, but he's really mad. And so he demands that all of his wise men be, be killed. And so they come for Daniel, who is one of his wise men, and, and Daniel's like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, before we start killing people, let me see if I can talk to the king, and maybe the Lord will speak through me what his dream meant. And here is really the most important part that we need to remember as the rest of chapter 2 unfolds. Everything that Daniel does points back to God. Everything he does points back to God as an act of worship and surrender and trust. Daniel says that no one except for God can do what the king is asking, but that God himself will interpret his dream through Daniel. He goes on and he tells Nebuchadnezzar that God had appointed him to be a great ruler, but that one day the Lord will establish a new kingdom that will never be destroyed. And the stone that the builders rejected will become the foundation and the cornerstone for this new kingdom, a clear picture of King Jesus who will reign forever. And then he closes with these words in Daniel chapter 2, verse 45. He says, The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is 
trustworthy. In other words, it was not me, it was not your wise man, not anyone else could do this. Only God could reveal this to you. He alone deserves all of the honor, all of the glory, all of the credit, because it's all about him. Let me pick it up again in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and offered and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a position, in a high position, and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. Now don't miss what is, what is happening here, the magnitude of this moment. This dictator who had ransacked Israel, taking its best and its brightest back into Babylonian captivity, back into exile. This same man who just the day before had ordered all of his wise men to be executed, including Daniel. This same king is now laying face down before a foreign captive from a subject nation. And even though Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar that all of this is from the Lord, Nebuchadnezzar still worships him. He showers Daniel with praise and adoration because he was able to do what no one else could. And then he promotes Daniel, making him basically second in command. He lavishes Daniel with power and wealth and authority, more, more of these things than Daniel has ever had in his young life as a, as a late teenager, maybe early 20s at the most. And the first thing that Daniel does with this newfound power and influence is ask the king to appoint his three friends as governors kind of spread throughout the land. All of this is incredible for a young man who just a few years ago had been taken, he'd been uprooted from everything he had ever known and placed into the king's So based on this account in Daniel, what can we learn about how to handle good news? At, at times when things are just going well for you or when you receive a promotion or when you get 75% or more of the congregational vote and like things are just going like, what do you do with that? How do you handle it? <laughs> I think the first thing that we see in the life of Daniel is just stay humble. Stay humble. By all accounts, Daniel stayed humble and he didn't let his success go to his head. But we see examples of, of men and women um, all throughout Scripture that God elevated, God promoted. Um, he, he put them into a position of power to use them, uh, but, but they eventually just kind of turned their backs on him as they chased more and more of that wealth and that power and that, and that success. In fact, we're even going to look at a case study of that next week in part two of this, this sermon. Um, but that's not what Daniel does. Daniel resists the urge to, to chase after the trappings of wealth and success and, and power. He just continues to live faithfully 
to the Lord. His success doesn't change him. But here's, here's what typically happens when you succeed. People start thinking that you are pretty awesome. And you start believing them. <laughs> you buy in to your own press. And people will want to be around you or have you around. They'll want to bend your ear or have your influence over something. And you're going to start thinking, you know what? I'm a pretty important person, aren't I? And you're going to look at all of the things that you've done, all of the hard work that you have put in, and you're going to start thinking that you are the reason for your success. But who gave you your intellect? Who opened the doors for your opportunities? Who put you in the right place at the right time for that chance encounter that would go on to change the course of your life? Who gave you the ability in the first place to be able to succeed? It was the Lord. And yes, you have worked hard, you have studied, you have taken chances, you did your part. But the reason you were able to do any of it is because the Lord allowed you to. See, Daniel knew that anything good that came his way was because of the Lord. It, it was the Lord's to give and it was the Lord's to take away. And I think that when we acknowledge that, we are, we are in a better position to stay humble when good things come our way and not let success get to our head. When the Israelites were, were about ready to cross into the promised land, and kind of this, 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 this defining moment in the life of this nation, about ready to cross right into the promised land. God knew that when they got there, it was going to be very tempting for them to look at all of the beauty of it, all of the provision, and start thinking that this was because of them instead of because of him. And so he tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says this, when you have eaten and are satisfied, meaning when you are enjoying the fruits of this blessing, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So all of these good things, yes, you have worked hard and you have done your part, but it is the Lord who gave you the opportunity. So the first thing that we can do when we receive good news, when we get that promotion, when good things come our way, is just to stay humble by remembering that all good gifts are from our Heavenly Father. He's the one who has entrusted them to us. The second way of handling good news uh, that we see in our text today is to use God's blessing to bless others. Use God's blessing to bless others. Remember the very first thing that Daniel does when he's promoted? He uses his influence to take care of his friends. And by extension, not only take care of them, but the entire nation of Israel who is living in Babylonian exile. It was good for all Israelites in Babylon to have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in positions of power. Daniel in the king's court, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of spread all throughout the rest of the land. And so Daniel used his blessings to be a blessing to others. It was the very first thing on his mind. 
But if I'm honest with you, it's not always the very first thing on my mind. Maybe it is yours. But I think for many of us, when we get a bonus or a promotion, when we get a greater amount of authority and and influence, our first reaction is not, wow, how can I use this blessing to bless others? Our first reaction is, wow, how can I use this blessing to bless me? Is that just me? Okay, maybe it's just me. Hmm. I think it's one of the reasons why our, our, the, the very first value that we have as, as a church um, is so hard. That, that value, you'll see it when you look at our website, you'll see it when you go out and we have the posters hanging up on the wall. The very first value that we have and that we hold on to as a church is we live like God owns everything. As a church and as a people, we want to live like God owns everything. You know what that means? That means that when we receive God's blessings, we don't hold on to them with closed fists, but we hold on to them with open hands. See, closed fists, it's all about taking and receiving and holding on to, but open hands is about saying, Lord, this is yours. You're just entrusting it to us. And so use this for your glory. Use this to build your kingdom. Use this to influence others for your sake. When, when, when God blessed Daniel, he used that blessing to serve others. And when we live this way, when our hands are open, instead of fists being closed, we will find that the gifts of God become more beautiful when they are shared with others. That, that home that you have that has the extra bedroom and bed in it that, that rarely gets used, that home becomes more beautiful when you open it up for a child in foster care who doesn't know where they're going to lay their head at night. When, when you take the, that part of that bonus um, that, that you received instead of saying, all right, it's vacation time. How, how much vacation can we get out of this? Or sweet, it's time for a new bike. All right. Uh, Instead of doing that, saying, man, what portion of this can we take to give to be a blessing to others? What you find is that gift becomes so much more beautiful when you use it to become a blessing to others. And so how do you handle good news and success? I think like Daniel, you stay humble, use God's blessing to bless others. But here's the thing. We've got this force that is pushing up against us in this, and it's our sinful nature. See, our sinful nature will always make us drift towards pride and towards self-preservation. It's how we got into this mess of our brokenness to, to begin with. The temptation of Adam and Eve was to become like God in knowledge and wisdom and power. And every single one of us have given into that temptation at one point or another in our life. All of this reminds me of a time in the life of Jesus. He's coming to the end of his earthly ministry. And his disciples have been following him now for about three years. And these 12 men, they've had a, a front row seat to all of Jesus' teachings, to all of his, his miracles. And, and, and as they would go from town to town, from village to village, they were like treated like rock stars. People would come out from all over just to be around Jesus. And they started thinking, hey, guys, we're a pretty big deal here, aren't we? The disciples started thinking that they were pretty hot stuff. And one day, as they were traveling from one village to another, an argument broke out between them about which one was the greatest. 
about which one of them was the most important. Well, Jesus caught wind of their argument, and when they arrived at the place that they were going, he asked them, hey, what were you arguing about? And the guys were like, uh, I'm not going to tell them, you tell them. I'm not going to tell them, you tell them. Well, Jesus knew their hearts. He knew what the argument was about. And he turned and he looked at them just as he says to us today, anyone who wants to be first in my kingdom must be last, must be the servant of all. You see, our sinful nature wants to become like God in power and strength and authority and position, but Jesus invites us to become like him in humility and in love to serve others the way that he served us. And so in God's kingdom, greatness is not found at the top. It is found by humbling ourselves to serve others. And that's a position and a posture that any of us can take, whether you are here today trying to figure out how to handle all of the good news that's coming in your life, or you're here today wondering how you're gonna handle one more blow because you don't know that you can take it. All of us can humbly serve others the way that Jesus served us. And in doing so, we can become great in the kingdom of God by becoming the least. We can do this because Jesus did it for us. He did it for us when he humbled himself on the cross. His death, burial, and resurrection became the cornerstone of our faith and our salvation. And it can become the cornerstone of your life too. When you place your faith in Jesus and you start following him.